As we continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit, as we continue to be immersed in His love, then we will love like Jesus loved. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. Well, good morning, church. We're continuing to learn what it means to love like Jesus loved. To love everybody, everywhere, that's a 360 kind of love, and that's the title of this sermon series. Before we get into the sermon, though, this morning, I want to tell you about our reopening plan as we see it now in the latest week of the COVID crisis. We are launching small groups inside the building. Many classes are coming back on Saturday nights at 6.30 so that they'll be able to join us outside for Saturday night church, those who can stay. Some other classes are meeting during the week, maybe on a Sunday afternoon. It could be uh, another day during the week, but be tuning in to your Sunday school class, your ABF class. Find out when they're meeting. If you don't have a small group, I'd encourage you to reach out to us at ministry at pcbc.tv. We'd love to hook you up with a group of believers around your stage of life and your age of life and let you find a way to connect with other believers right here in Oklahoma City. I know we have a lot of viewers that are viewing outside of Oklahoma City, all around our nation, really all around the world, and we want to welcome you in this morning as well. Also, as we move forward here in Oklahoma City, we are going to continue Saturday Night Church through August and into September. We believe that that, again, is the best option we have to minister to our community and minister to our church body. We're going to have our small groups in uh, very safe distance rooms here in the building, but we'll be doing worship outside where we can be more expressive. We don't have to worry about wearing masks and having a much safer environment. We are going to do that through August into September, and so our new uh, return back to schedule will happen on October the 4th, and that's the best we can see as of today. But on October the 4th, we'll move back into the building for worship, small groups, and our normal schedule that we had before our COVID crisis. But let's continue as we are walking in different days, learning how to be different in the way we love other people, that we are practicing that 11th commandment, that we are loving others just like Jesus loved us. We've learned that loving like Jesus means that we're engaging, that we are serving, and that we are also feeding or actually practically meeting a physical, emotional, or spiritual need in a person's life. Now, we don't love people to earn God's love. Uh, that's not why we do what we do. We don't do that to earn his love. What we do is we do that as an expression because we have experienced God's love. That's a whole different mindset. The Pharisees and other religions uh, throughout all of human history thought they had to do things for God to love them. I thought that as a lost person. But what I've come to understand, once I experienced the love of God, and once he changed my life forever, and now the love of God lives in me, the love of God is now living and flowing from me. It's much like just this average sponge, and you've seen an illustration like this before. This sponge is really of very little value. Nothing's coming out of it. It's dry. It's dead, if you will. However, if this represented the love of God, and if we were to immerse this, uh, that's the Greek word for baptism, to be baptized into his love, if you will, not the act of baptism. That's a symbol. But to actually be immersed in the love of God, now that which was dead and that which was dry is actually filled. And because it is filled, 
now what it is and what it has experienced, it now overflows through life. As we continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit, as we continue to be immersed in His love, then we will love like Jesus loved. What once was dry and of no value now becomes a vessel that can love other people. And that's what should be happening because we have the love of God in our hearts. That's what Jesus was trying to express. So as we go through the book of Matthew, every single morning we're encouraging you to read a chapter. We're about to switch over to the Gospel of Mark in August. But as we wrap up this month and as I bring you this sermon today, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 20, if you would. Matthew chapter 20, let's take a look at verse 29. Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, and a large crowd followed him. Now, we're going to look into this chapter, and we're going to continue to see this progression of how the disciples were loving God, serving God, but struggling in loving other people. They continued to run back to a natural love and not a supernatural love. So as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, there was a large crowd that followed them, Some because they had heard great things about what Jesus was doing. Some Bible scholars believe others had joined the crowd because they were heading for Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Whatever it was, there was a large crowd around Jesus. There were many who had good motives, perhaps, but most probably didn't have the right motives. It wasn't to learn from Jesus. It wasn't to serve him. It wasn't to bow down and to worship him. Most of them were just getting in line So hopefully they could be the next one to get something from Jesus. Here we go, verse 30. As they were progressing outside, leaving this Jericho, there were two blind men who were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Now they said the very same thing that the Canaanite woman said that we studied last week. Jesus didn't answer her a word. These two blind men, however, sitting on this roadside, cried out the same thing, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And this time, we're going to see Jesus reach out as well. I want to give you a little context about where they are and what's taking place because it helps us better understand what's actually happening. First of all, they're on the outskirts of Jericho. Now, you probably remember Jericho. You know the song we sing, and seven times they went around Jericho, and Joshua blew the horn, and the walls came tumbling down. Well, this is a different Jericho. This was a new city that was built. The old Jericho was never ever to be rebuilt as Joshua basically put a curse on that city. But this is a new town, same name, just a different city. And in this town, most of the tax collectors in this region gathered. It was the lifestyle of the rich and the famous. The tax collectors were basically the the mafia of their day. They extorted from the people. They gathered the taxes, but they always could charge what they wanted to charge, and they'd always add a surcharge that would go straight to their pockets. Now, in this new Jericho, we find that there were many, many, many wealthy people. It was a very affluent city. And on the outside of that city is where many of them would build their luscious estates and So you would find beggars all along the road knowing that they had to return home and the rich would be there to pour out to their need. So with that in mind, we notice these blind men's request. They cry out to Jesus. They said, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now notice what they didn't ask for. They didn't ask for God's forgiveness. 
They didn't ask for Jesus to be their Savior. They cried out for mercy. Now, as we look at that, there's a big difference between mercy and grace. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. It's a gift. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. It's a gift. It's somebody being gracious. That's the definition of grace. Mercy, on the other hand, is not getting what I do deserve. And so it's interesting. The best they understood, they were crying out for mercy, for God not to give them what they deserve. They knew that they were beggars. They knew that they were blind. They knew that they were of no value to Jesus, but they still had a need, and so they cried out. They needed mercy. Matter of fact, we all do. Because we have all done the same thing. We all deserve a holy God to judge our sin. And in that holiness, he would have every right for us to be separated from him for all of eternity. But praise God, God demonstrated his mercy in a very unique way. He didn't give us what we deserved by giving us what we don't deserve. Grace. It's for by grace that we are saved. Not an act of our works, nothing that we can do, lest we would boast and say it's because of what I've done that I now merit the rewards of heaven. No, it's all that Jesus has done. And I want you to look at the response of the crowd. You saw the response of the two blind men. They cried out to Jesus for help. I want you to see the response of the crowd in verse 31. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. Wow, it's like we're just repeating history over and over and over again. And this time now, the crowd actually takes on the attitude of the disciples, not the attitude of Jesus. They're not loving like Jesus loves. They're loving like the disciples love. And they rebuke these two blind guys who are sitting by the road. What a callous response. Those who could see, those who were fine, those who could walk and do whatever they wanted to do, see two people with a radical need, and all they can do is rebuke them and tell them to shut up. Well, we look in on their calloused response, and we see that we should have seen something entirely different. Why didn't somebody say, hey, 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 let, let me help. How can I help you? Matter of fact, let me, pick you, let me carry you with us. Uh, you need to get to Jesus. I'll help you get to Jesus. Why didn't somebody stop? Why didn't somebody care? Not anybody from the crowd and not anybody from the Jesus crowd. Not one disciple stopped for these guys. Instead, the crowd rebuked them. You see, they were accustomed to seeing these beggars, they were always asking. They were always there with their hands out, always wanting somebody to give them part of their hard-earned money, and the crowd had become just as calloused as the disciples. I think in the culture in which we live in today, it's easy for us to get calloused hearts as well. We see so many hurting people. We see so many needs. We so many, see so many people struggling with hate and the division and the strife in our country, and it's easy to just say, that's just the way people are, and I'm sick of it. Or it's very easy to say, you know, they're always asking, they're always begging. It's easy to get a hard heart, not just the disciples, but even the crowd. And so I want you to watch the response of the blind guys, as I'm sure they've heard crowds tell them to shut up before. Listen to what they did. Look at the rest of verse 31. But they shouted all the louder. These blind guys simply became verbal guys. They confessed with their mouth their need for Jesus to help. For it's with the heart we are saved. It's with the mouth we confess Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says you can be saved. They had a need. 
They realized Jesus was the only one who could meet that need, and they cried out to him for help. Look at what it says. It shouted, they shouted all the louder. Can't you see him just saying, hey, you can't shut us up. You can't keep me from Jesus. I'm going to Jesus with all I have. Has there been a time in your life where you've shouted out to Jesus? Maybe there were other voices telling you, hey, hey, you can't, you can't call on God. You're not worthy of his love. I remember when I shouted out to Jesus junior in high school. I remember the different voices of the enemy, whether they were de demonic forces or, or whatever. I know they were on assignment to kill, steal, and destroy my life. And I know that those lying spirits kept saying, Bill, you're unworthy of God's love. And he can love other people like those people you see going to Emmanuel Baptist Church in your hometown, but there's no way a holy God could love somebody like you. You need to shut up, move on. You're not worth it. God couldn't love you. Those are the lies of the enemy. It's the lies of the crowd. The crowd being those demonic spirits that are on assignment to separate you from God for all of eternity. And I shouted that night, all the louder, Lord, save me. Lord, have mercy on me. And God, forgive me. Look at Jesus' response. Remember the Canaanite woman, he didn't answer her at first. But look at verse 32. It's powerful. And in this one verse, Jesus teaches us the 11th commandment. Not in a sermon, but through his life. Take a look at it. When they shouted all the louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and he called to them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. So how did Jesus love? Let's look at the 11th commandment. Let's take a few quick notes, real easy to see. Verse 32, number one, very first thing you need to see, we'll put it on the screen. Number one, he stopped for them. Now, he was heading to Jerusalem. He must be there. The Father had told him he was to go and to die on the cross for our sins. He had a holy calling and a holy destination. But on his way from this Jericho to Jerusalem, he stopped. He stopped for these two blind men. Well, that's a lesson for you and me that no matter where we're going each and every day, we, we have a God calling too. We have a holy assignment that wherever God is taken, whether we're going to work, eventually some of our students going back to school, whether we're going shopping, whether we're going to help our neighbor in the neighborhood, wherever we go, we're on a holy call to represent the king and his kingdom in this world. And as we go, there are times that we need to be careful not to be so busy going in the name of Jesus, doing the Father's will, that we miss the God opportunities. We need to stop. We need to stop and be there for people in their time of need. Number two, the second thing he did, not only did he stop, but he called to them. He didn't just stop and say, hey, somebody take care of them. Somebody quiet them down. No, he stopped and he called to them. That was Jesus reaching out. That was Jesus in his own way initiating and engaging them into relationship. We need to do a lot more stopping and a lot more reaching out. We need to call out to other people. And we can do that, not on a Facebook post, but we need to do that personally, relationally. We don't need to send somebody else. We don't need to pray someone else gets there. We need to be the one to stop and to call out. The third thing he did is very interesting. You would think that he stopped and called out and asked him, what do you need me to do for you? And as soon as they responded, you would expect Jesus. The next thing, what do you expect Jesus to do? He's the puppet on the string, right? He's the holy God that's supposed to meet every need according to his riches and glory. And so he ought to just meet that need. But I want you to see a third thing Jesus did. It's very interesting. 
he asked them, what can I do for you? What would you have me do? Now, that seems a little interesting, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem weird that he would ask that question when they had already yelled out a request? Why would Jesus ask the question? Well, number one, we need to understand this, and Jesus is going to model it for us, that meeting a perceived need isn't always the right kind of help. Sometimes that's the easy thing to do. Sometimes we can throw a couple of dollars at somebody on a street corner just to get the guilt off our conscience, but have we really helped that person? Jesus models what it means to love people where they are. He stopped, he called out to them, but then he went and asked a question. He went digging deeper into their actual need and wanted them to help discover what they needed. So it says here, Jesus stopped and he called them, what do you want me to do for you? You see, they had already asked, but Jesus wanted them to realize, no, you've got a bigger need. He wanted to take them deeper. Remember, I've taught you, anytime that Jesus asks a question in Scripture, anytime we see God asking a question in Scripture, we need to stop and put on the brakes ourselves. Because if he's asking a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's not because he's looking for information. He knows all things already. Why would God ask a question? Because he's always trying to take that person deeper. And so I've learned when I see a question being asked by God, I'm going to stop. I'm going to put myself in that question. So let me ask you this morning. If Jesus were to ask you, what would you have me do for you this very moment? How would you respond? What would your answer be? Put yourself in the question. Notice here, though, let's learn from this so we can learn better the 11th commandment. Notice that Jesus just didn't respond with a handout and said, okay, guys, here's a Here's a dose of mercy for today. Here's a quick healing. You see, they would have maybe received their sight, but they still would have died in their sin, spiritually blind. They would have remained blind, even though they could now see with their eyes. Jesus instead wanted to love them more deeply. Not just surface love, but a deeper love. He genuinely wanted them to understand, you have a different blindness that is way more terminal than your physical blindness. And how did he help get them there? He called out to them. He asked them some deep questions and got them to see the ultimate need. You see, sometimes the easy thing to do is just to shut them up. It's easy just to dole out a quick response. And other times, we just throw out some quick responses, maybe a few dollars here, maybe a happy meal. We drop off at the, the, the beggar with the cardboard on the street corner just so we can remove the guilt in the moment. Other times we just feel sorry for someone and so we do something, but, but that doesn't always help. We may think it's helping, but there was a book written when helping hurts. We have a great demonstration of that. 1935, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was dealing with the Great Depression, many who were out of work, many who were suffering financially. And so there was a need to step in and provide stimulus in that moment, to provide unemployment to people who were hurting and the government stepped in and then in that meaning well trying to bring federal aid to the unemployed workers they then expanded the idea and said we need to also help the poor children and other dependent people and then we created what we call welfare and this has been documented not just by preachers preaching the word not by the church but by sociologists that what was done in 1935 that may have been necessary in the moment trying to help people, now decades later has crippled people. 
It was designed to help actually hurt and cause people then to become dependent on the welfare rather than working and being productive as God created us to be. A good program became a destructive force for decades and for generations. Jesus didn't give people handouts, but he did reach his hand out. He did stop. He did reach out. He called out, and he took people deeper with a different kind of love. And so I want to challenge you to do the same and allow the Lord to use you to be his vessel, to love people right where they are. Look at it again. Go to verse 33 now. The Lord then answered, or they answered the Lord, and they said, Lord, we want our sight. That was their request. That was the ask. Their answer, quite frankly, should be our answer as well. You look at it first, you say, well, that's, that seems to be so shallow, so surface, so temporal. I'm not so sure they weren't saying, Lord, we want to see. We want to see not just so we can see. We want to see so we can see you. We want to We want to see beyond just physical sight. We want to see Messiah, the son of David. As we look in on this, we find that that has been a battle in every person's life, not just these two blind men, but all the way from the very first two people who ever lived on this planet. If you have your Bibles, you can go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. And I want you to see where this whole sight problem, where blindness first began spiritual blindness. Take a look at it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. It's fascinating. It's been the issue of every person's life from the beginning of life. Here we are, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4. So the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. Remember, he has been challenging the word, what God has said. He has tempted them over to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where God had told Adam, you're not to eat from that. Because if you bring that, if you bring evil, if you allow sin into your life, it will destroy you. It will bring death. The enemy trying to blind them to truth, trying to rob them of seeing God for who he is and God's will for what it is. He's trying to blind them. He blinds them with lies and with sin. He says, you won't die. God knows in the day you eat from it, watch this, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. Now, that's a strange phraseology when they had eyes to see. Their eyes were already opened. He was talking about the eyes of the heart. He was talking about a deeper ability to see. He said, oh, yeah, you can see the garden, and you can see that luscious fruit on that tree that God doesn't want you to have. But if you eat it, you'll be able to see like you've never seen before. Isn't it amazing? The very first lies was all about our sight. The ability to see righteous, the ability to see unrighteous. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from the fruit and she ate and she gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate. They both sinned and fell short of the glory of God. In verse 7, in that moment, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. Yeah, they... They saw something they should have never seen, evil. And they saw death. And they saw the natural. That's all they were. They were no longer a spiritual being. They just tasted spiritual death. And all that was left was the physical. Now they were separated from a holy God. All because they wanted to see. But in reality, they became spiritually blind. 
And I've learned not just for Adam and Eve, but Satan throughout all human history is always messing with our sight. The ability to see righteously. And in that moment, they lost their spiritual sight because they wanted to see the wrong thing. It was their selfish ambition. It was their fleshly desire. It was because it was desirable to the eyes. And because they wanted what they saw with their physical eyes, they lost the ability to see spiritually. They lost their sight and became spiritually blind. It's interesting today when uh, I was preparing this message, uh, actually not today, this week as I was preparing the message, uh, I was in my office, I was getting ready, I was working through all this, thinking about spiritual blindness, and all of a sudden I heard this loud pound on my, on my window. It was just startling. I didn't know if it was my grandkids who'd come by to maybe check in as they're out this summer or if somebody was playing a trick. And So I went over and opened my blinds, and there was nobody there. I wonder, that's strange. What, it was such a, a loud thump on, on the window. There had to be something there. So I went outside, and, and there lying on the ground right outside my window was this little bird, stiffer than a board. Apparently, as it was uh, doing its daily business, just going about and flying all around, enjoying a beautiful day, expecting to have a nice new flight and a new flight path flew all the way into that window, and Tragically, it cost that bird its life. That's a tragic story, a sad story, an unfortunate story, but boy, it was an eye-opener. As I'm doing this, I'm thinking, how many times are we like that bird, just going here and going there and just enjoying life? So we can't see, and what looks like a safe place, what looks like a safe direction, actually is a dead end. It brings death. That's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve, and that's exactly what happened to all who've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Matter of fact, you'll see this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. It teaches that we are all spiritually blind. Listen to this. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. He pictures a veil like you would see on a lot of brides. Not all brides wear a veil anymore, but back in the day there would be a veil that would hide the face, and you couldn't see past that veil. Or the veil in the temple that does not allow sinners to approach the Holy of Holies. Our gospel, he says, is veiled. And in this case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Every person is born spiritually blind. And as a result, we may have physical eyes to see. We may not be begging on the street for physical eyesight, but all of us have the need to be able to see spiritually because the gospel is veiled. It's interesting when the apostle Paul, before he became Paul, he was blinded. He was blinded by religion. He wasn't blinded by uh, the, 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 the radical sin of this world. He was even blinded by religion. He was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. At that time, he was Saul of Tarsus. And there he was on the road to Damascus to go and persecute other Christians, this cult, as he called it. And God stopped, and God called out to Paul on that road, and he asked Paul a question. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, he was trying to take him deeper, deeper so he could actually see his real need. And then God would speak in his life, and this was Paul's testimony that he gave in Acts chapter 26. You can write it down in your notes. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but, but in verse 15 he said, then I asked, well, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. 
Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant, as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Isn't that interesting? This man who was blinded by his religion has his eyes open. In verse 17 he says, And I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes, to allow them to turn from their darkness to light, and from the power of Satan over to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He said, Saul, I'm going to turn you into a new person. You were spiritually blind, but today I open your eyes. And now as you receive my love, I'm going to call you to love not just on your own people, but also the Gentiles. And you will preach the gospel. That gospel which is veiled to the spiritually blind, I'm going to send you to them. And as you preach that gospel, it will open their eyes to their need as well. Spiritual blindness. So much so that we also find not only before we're saved do we struggle with spiritual blindness, but we can still struggle with a form of of spiritual blindness as a believer. That's why in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul prayed for believers, and he prayed for the church. That's how I often pray for our church. Listen to this prayer. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In other words, be open to truth. Instead of them being closed or even blinded, I pray that God would open all of our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, that we would be enlightened to know the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Psalm chapter 146, verse 8, tells us that it is the Lord who opens the eyes of the blind. Has he opened your eyes? Has he opened your eyes to your need to be saved from your sin? If he has, give him praise this morning. If you've never come to understand your need today in this very moment, Jesus is speaking to you, and he's, he's opening your eyes to be able to see not your sin as much as he needs you to see his love. And you see his love, you will see your sin, and your need to be forgiven. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. And when that happens, we realize that we need to receive Christ into our hearts and receive that very love that only Jesus can give. It's interesting, in verse 34, Jesus said, or it says about Jesus, verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them and he touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and they followed him. What would you have me do for you? The Lord asks. Lord, open my eyes. Lord, I want to see. Now, that request might be very superficial or it might be very spiritual. If all I want is God to heal me physically, that miracle will only last a lifetime at best, and it's very temporal. If all I want is him to be able to give me sight because I'm physically blind just so I can have a better quality of life, I really still don't have an abundant life, and I don't have eternal life. But if I say, Lord, open my eyes, I want to see because my desire is deeper than physical, I want to see you, Lord. I need to see your love. This emptiness and this vacuum in my life, Lord, it's, it's consumed me all my life. And Lord, I want to see you, son of David, 
Messiah, Savior. It's interesting here that as Jesus would heal them, that the healing of the blind was actually an Old Testament messianic sign. He stops here in this moment and he proves to the disciples and all in the crowd that he is Messiah. He heals them. He reaches out. He touches their eyes and they receive their sight. Isaiah chapter 29 verse 18. Isaiah 35 and verse 5. Isaiah 42 verse 7 and verse 16 and verse 18 all speak to Messiah, the one who would give sight to the blind. And now that they could see They don't see a crowd that had just rebuked them. They don't see a new religion that's starting. You know what they saw? They saw what they needed to see. Jesus, the one who touched their eyes. Look at what happens next. As they received their sight, they didn't go running back to the marketplace so they could go buy some new stuff. They didn't go running out to get a new job. They didn't go running back to their homes. They didn't go run into a party. They went and followed Jesus. They received their sight, and they followed him. You see, it wasn't just a physical healing that moment. It was a spiritual healing. They went deeper because God loved them like no other. And the Lord has said to you and me, love one another just as I have loved you, just as I have loved. Can we learn to do that? Can we learn to stop for people? Can we learn to notice when people are actually hurting? But not just give a handout, but to reach our hands out and to invite them into our journey and our life and ask, what would you have God do for you in this moment? Take them deeper by loving them like Jesus loved. We talked about Luke 9, 23, where Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple... Take up your cross daily. Die to yourself. It isn't about getting to Jerusalem. It isn't about the crowd. It isn't about being a part of a a messianic movement like the disciples got all caught up in or the crowd did. No, it's about stopping and being there for people. Take up your cross daily. Die to your selfish agenda and follow me. It's exactly what these two new seen men did. They saw Jesus and followed him the rest of their lives. Have you seen Jesus? Have you experienced his love? Does God need to open your heart today? Would you pray with me with every head bowed and every eye closed? I want to pray for each and every one of us this morning. If you've already had the eyes of your heart opened, if you've already at some point in your life, not just that you knew about God, not that you just asked God to bail you out of trouble, but there was a time where God opened your heart to show you your need to be saved. And you confessed your sin and you asked Jesus to save you. And you know he lives in your heart this very moment. You're not perfect, but you are a follower of Jesus. Would you thank God for his love? But I know there has to be somebody who's worshiping with us online today. Maybe even somebody who's watching this at a later date as they view our archived uh, service. And God has had you tune in for this very moment, this very message, because he wants to save you. He has stopped, and he has stopped you, and the two have come together, and now Jesus wants to forgive you of your sin. The Bible says the only way he can do that is for you to first repent, that's to give him your sin, but then also to receive 
to receive his grace. Remember what I told you about grace? Grace is a gift that we don't deserve. It's God giving us. That's the gift. Giving us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness, mercy, grace. God wants to give that to you. First you have to give him your sin. Then you have to receive him as Lord and Savior. If you'd like to do that, I want to lead you in a prayer. You say, why do I need to pray? Because the Bible says if we call on his name, that's all prayer is. Speaking to God, acknowledging our need, crying out just like these two blind men, Lord, have mercy on me. Do you need to do that right now? Cry out to God and say, Lord, have mercy on me. God, I've been blinded by my sin. But Lord, I know you give sight to the blind. God, while I don't deserve your love, today I receive your love. I receive you into my life, into my heart. I believe in my heart that you are the Son of God. You are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving me. The good news is that if you just receive God's love, you are his child. And we'd love to celebrate with you. And we'd love to give you some materials and reach out and, and help disciple you as you begin to follow Jesus. One of the first things you need to do is identify that you have made this radical decision. Would you reach out to our online pastor right now and just say, I just prayed with the pastor. If you'd like to email us in, you can email us at ministry at pcbc.tv. That'll come straight to me. I'd love to know about your new commitment to Christ and that you know the love of Jesus. And now, as you go in this new life, this new love, make sure like the sponge that that love is flowing from you as you love others just like Jesus has loved you. Until then, know that he does love you and so do we. We look forward to ministering to you in the days ahead. God bless and keep following Jesus. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv slash podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.